Let us pray. Silence in us, now any voice by your own gracious God, and speak your word of truth and hope and mercy and grace for Christ's sake. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke, and I would invite you to find the pew Bibles that are in front of you and find page 64 in the New Testament section of that very Bible. And I'm going to read verses 17, 18, and 19. Then I'm going to invite all of us to read together verses 20 through 26. So again, Luke 6, beginning at verse 17, you all start at verse 20. It's on page 64 in your New Testament Bible. Let us hear God's word. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Now together. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Perhaps you know a TV show called The Americans. The Americans is a great show that we've recently discovered in our house. It's the story of a family of four, Elizabeth, Philip, Paige, and Henry Jennings, growing up in suburban Washington, D.C. in the early 1980s during the Reagan administration. And everything looks fine and normal until you quickly discover, so this isn't much of a spoiler, that Elizabeth and Philip are actually KGB agents that they were planted in the States in the 60s as young adults and they grew and had children. They are what the CIA and the FBI calls illegals. I need to warn you that the show can be graphic at times and violent at times and really, really violent at other times, but we found it to be a compelling show, a kind of psychological page turner, an interesting juxtaposition of 
family dynamics with this family of four going through all the things that families go through, all the while the parents are out doing dangerous covert operations on behalf of the Soviet Union. There's a set of episodes that we've just worked through in which the 14-year-old daughter, angsty daughter named Paige, not that any 14-year-olds in this room were ever angsty, but Paige takes a day off from school. She's discovered an address at her parents' home and she wants to go investigate it. So she gets on a bus from suburban DC and heads up to Pennsylvania. And on the way back, she encounters another young girl on the bus and they strike up a conversation. And that young girl, after they keep talking when home, on the phone, and in other ways at school, invites her. And of all things, she invites her to go to church. And Paige goes to church, and she likes it. In fact, she likes it a lot. She likes the youth group. She likes the worship. She goes on mission trips. Now, who doesn't like it? Well, her parents don't like it one little bit. Remember, they are products of communist Russia, the Soviet Union, They discover Paige's clandestine religious practice and they yell at her and they mock her. They remind her of Marx's great statement that religion is the opiate of the masses. She doesn't quite know what to do with that. They find her Bible, they rip it up, they throw it away. And yet Paige persists in going to church. We know there'll be interesting developments out of this plot line. You'll have to watch yourself as we do to see what happens to Paige. But I thought about that incident in that television show as I read this morning's gospel lesson time and time again over the past couple of weeks. Blessed are you when people hate and exclude and revile and defame you. Now, my hunch is... Jesus did not have a fictional Russian teenager in mind when he said those words to his earlier followers. And my hunch is that none of you faced any kind of persecution as you made your choice to come to church today. Usually when I tell people what I do, I get a combination of responses. Oh, that's quaint, or oh, that's nice, or oh, that's irrelevant, or oh, we used to go to church, but we don't anymore. But never, ever have I been persecuted for doing what I do. My bet is that's the case for you as well. But nonetheless, this little moment in this television show got me thinking and expanding and unpacking the implications of what we have called in our tradition the Beatitudes, whether Matthew's more familiar version or Luke's that we encounter this morning with its pairing of blessings and woes and blessings and woes. I think our approach over the history of our tradition has been often misguided. We read these words and we do so many things with them rather than take them seriously. We allegorize them. Did Jesus really mean that? No, he didn't. Or we sanitize them. They don't really mean what they say. Or we detach ourselves from them. We distance ourselves from them. That was then, this is now, that was them, this is us. Or, like Karl Marx, we say that's just a way to placate those who are suffering, a kind of a pie-in-the-sky vision of what faith can look like. We've done all of these things. Our tradition has. Maybe you've done them as well. 
to turn the Beatitudes into a kind of a plaque on the wall, bumper sticker faith. So I've been thinking, what if we take these seriously? What if we take these words set in the context of Jesus healing and teaching and preaching seriously now? United States, 21st century. Look at those words. Claim them, let them claim us. Some of us in this place and beyond this place have experienced or are experiencing real poverty. That certainly was the case with our rain guest this week. Some of us experience symbolic poverty, a lack of something, a paucity of something in our lives. All of us have hungered in one way or another. Some physically, the people that come here on a Monday or a Thursday or a Saturday, and others of us hunger psychologically or emotionally or spiritually. And all of us weep. Weep for some reason or another. Some of us are in a season of weeping even as we gather now. So I wonder what it would look like if we took these words seriously, embraced the risks and the rewards of the faith that Jesus is describing. Blessing, he says, not an inoculation from bad things happening to us, not as a firewall to protect us from those bad things, not as a pacifier to make things just a little bit easier when they happen to us, but as a deeper connection. A connection with our own life, a connection in the life of this place, and surely a deeper connection with God. That's what being blessed looks like. What if the Beatitudes invited us and compelled us to look at our own lives more deeply, more honestly, how we live our lives? So that while perfect alignment will never be achieved, we get closer and closer to this vision that Jesus lays out for us. And what if this place did the same, that is, exponentially multiplied these experiences of encountering the Beatitudes? What if they invited us and compelled us together to look at our sense of community, a kind of ethical framework being laid out by Jesus as he shared these words, a deeper understanding of what blessing can look like, what built connections can look like, whether it's with the poor, rain or in Texas, or with the hungry, the spiritually hungry and the literally physically hungry with all who grieve, whether it's the loss of a loved one or the loss of many loved ones in Parkland, Florida, or in Aurora, Illinois, with all those who are oppressed. In all the ways that people are oppressed by their race or gender or gender identity or expression or any other worldly condition, What would it look like for us to have that risky conversation for the sake of others? To experience a truer and deeper blessing. Oftentimes we treat the Beatitudes as a kind of moral exhortation. It's so much more than that. Even more than an ethical vision, though it is that. But it's a a promise. 
about who God is through Jesus Christ and about who we can be because of who God is. We've already heard the announcement that Mardi Gras is around the corner. That means Ash Wednesday is the next day. That means Lent is on our heels. And we're in a kind of an in-between time. It feels like that, doesn't it? Between Advent and Lent, between Christmas and Easter. But I think, in a sense, we always live in an in-between time. Between what is and what might be. And the Beatitudes teach us about what it looks like to live in those in-between times. The Beatitudes serve as a lens that we might clearly see the world. And a mirror that reflects back on us and all of us, our own lives and commitments. And a window through which we can look to see a much longer view of what faith is what Jesus calls us to be and to do. The in-between time of comfort and discomfort, of woe and blessing, of sin and holiness. The in-between time when present and future can come together, when the time we anticipate becomes the time we welcome. And when all all of God's children will realize the fullness of the blessing Jesus promises. And that list of woes becomes a distant memory. I'm struck again by the power and the purpose of Jesus' vision. So allow me to share his blessings and woes one last time and invite us to enter into a conversation about what taking the Beatitudes seriously might look like. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and leap for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Friends, let us live in the in-between times so wonderfully and poignantly described by these words as we seek the blessings of God's promise, the blessings of transformation. Amen.